Welcome back to Ship Chasing, ladies and gentlemen. We have a very exciting guest joining us today. As our friends at Around the NFL podcast might say, we've reeled in a big fish that's none other than John Paulson, the man behind the projections at 4 for 4. And we, of course, also have Pat Corain, my co-host here. But John, you just drafted a main event team last week. We got the board pulled up here. How are you feeling now that you have a few days uh, with the draft in the rearview mirror? Well, pretty good. I, you know, the night of the draft, I was feeling really good. I think the first 12 rounds went really well. Um, and since then, with the Andrew Luck retirement, that didn't really affect us. And um, the other, uh, the Lamar Miller ACL, a uh, little bit of regret there because we were targeting uh, Duke Johnson in this draft and ended up going another direction and, you know, for our third running back. So um, didn't, I would love to have had him on the roster at this point with Lamar Miller down. Yeah. At least those are one of those hindsight's 2020 things there, but I guess if you were targeting him, it looks like he ended up going early eighth round. Um, mm-hmm. And then, and you guys then got Sammy Watkins there in the, in the eighth, which isn't a bad consolation prize. Yeah. And it was really a function of us, pulling the trigger on uh, Kenyon Drake there in the six because then we had our three running backs and um, it really started with the second pick because we ended up James Connor there the original plan was to probably draft a receiver at eight and then George Kittle uh, at 205 but then Connor was there we had my co-owner co-owner and I you know had uh, teams together for probably 12 13 years now and uh, we usually uh, agree on stuff and this was a difficult one to prep for with the eighth pick because there's so many weird things going on in the first round. I mean, Travis Kelsey could be there, but he's got a week 12 bye. Do we want him? Uh, you know, Zeke Elliott might, you know, fall to us. We had to prepare for that. David Johnson. Ultimately we went with Devontae Adams there. And then uh, we thought about James Connor and Nick Chubb there at 108. So when Connor was there at 205, uh, we felt like we had to pull the trigger there. Ended up with Carson in the third. And so we had our, third running back uh, in the sixth round. So then at that point, we were just pretty much focused on receiver for the next few rounds. Yeah, and maybe before we get going too much further, well, one, we'll post a link uh, in the show notes to John's full draft board. So if you want to follow along while we talk about it and see the whole board, you can do that. But Pat, do you want to maybe just list off his top 10 picks for us? And then we can have um, a frame of reference for people who aren't able to, to pull up the board on the go. Sure, yeah. They, so you guys started Devontae Adams, James Conner, Chris Carson, Brandon Cooks, Hunter Henry, Kenyon Drake, Corey Davis, Sammy Watkins, Baker Mayfield, and then Kiki Kute. Um, John, I wanted to ask you about Kittle because you know you just mentioned that Conner kind of fell too far for you to pass on him and it changed your strategy. But um, Kittle is someone that we're thinking about and hoping would fall to us at the 207 or the, the 206, we have the 107. Um, if you had taken Kittle there, how would that have changed the rest of your draft strategy? Well, it would have probably been running back in the third. We were planning on um, either Damian Williams, who went two picks before our pick, or Chris Carson there, and that, or maybe one of those other running backs, depending on who was left. But I thought the third round was pretty strong for running back. And then I thought the fourth round was pretty good for receiver with Julian Edelman off often there at 405 Chris Godwin often there at 405 Brandon Cooks as well we ended up with Cooks so 
the plan was to go wide receiver, tight end, running back, wide receiver, and then hit, you know, running back either five and six or at least one of the two, and then maybe looking at somebody at seven, um, depending on who was there and who wasn't uh, who wasn't there. But with I think you know, from a relative value standpoint, which is what we call you know VBD, um, which has its faults, but I think when you're looking at tight end and a tight end premium setup, I mean I think it's valuable to look at that. And you know Kittle was right there with Kelsey for us um, in terms of his value, relative value to the other positions, and you know he's one of the, I think two of the. I think he was ninth or tenth in our in our rankings, our, our relative value rankings. So we were really excited about getting, you know, him at two hundred five. But with Connor there, we felt like the running back. We got burned last year and running back, and this is something that I don't know if you guys deal with this, but when you have a problem the previous year, you're maybe extra cautious the following year. Um, but we went with Connor, and then it really worked out for us because we ended up with Hunter Henry, who I love. At 508, we were not expecting. I was certainly very pessimistic about him making it that far, but once he got past 504, or once he got past 503, and the next uh, four teams already had a tight end, I thought there was a chance that he might slip, and he did. Yeah, and I yeah. know. Oh, go for it, Pat. Well, I, yeah, that's really good value on him because I was going to say Evan Ingram and OJ Howard went back to back in kind of the mid to late fourth, mm-hmm. and then after Henry the next tight ends to go are Jared Cook and then Vance McDonald. So it seems like you guys like got the tail end of the Ingram-Howard tier around later and just before the next tier started. Yeah, and that's, I think, a function of the three guys, or, you know, could be ladies, I guess, <laughs> drafting one, two, and three. You know, they elected to take, each take a wide receiver and a running back with their picks, and then once it got to four, you know, somebody's going to have to double up on tight end in order to to take Henry. So I think we got a little bit lucky there. I mean, they took Galladay, Sony Michelle, Tyler Lockett, Mark Ingram, Robert Woods, and Philip Lindsay there on that turn. Um, and then I started to get excited. And I hated to pass on Calvin Ridley. At, he went with the next pick, uh, 509. But that Henry pick, I just think, was in a tight end premium format, was just a no-brainer. Yeah, and I think, too, you know, what we're really trying to avoid doing is really paying that huge premium for tight end premium. And obviously, those big three, Kelsey, Ertz, and Kittle, you're getting closer to their regular ADP, um, even in the premium format. And that's kind of what you were able to do with Henry, because, I mean, what, Henry's redraft, stay standard PPR ADP is kind of like into the fifth, early sixth, is is it? Or am I wrong? Yeah, and to get in there and at 1.5 PPR, I just... It was like I was doing a dance in my living room, you know, not literally, but figuratively, um, just feeling like that was just great value. And I, your points taken there because you're if you're drafting George Kittle in the second round, you're not really overspending too much on him because he's going in the second round of a lot of PPR drafts. And it's kind of the same with Zach Ertz as well. Yeah, and I know you, um, in your uh, big master draft plan article, you actually even had a tangent about Hunter Henry and kind of looking at his fantasy points um, per target and how many targets Gates was seeing and then kind of extrapolating that. Uh, you ended up settling at, he's looking at 13.1 points per game, which is basically what Kittle averaged last year. So the fact that um, even you're probably slightly higher on the market uh, in general on Henry and then to get him at a, a discount seems like a, a win-win for you there. Yeah, I'm, I think I have him at four. Uh, I think the, the ADP-wise, he's at six. 
Um, you know, relative, you know, rankers might have him a spot or two higher, but I think in that offense with Philip Rivers throwing the ball and, and just the, the role that Antonio Gates has had there for years, uh, I think Henry slides right into that role. And we've seen it on in a short sample because he's been injured here and there. And I think last year was going to be his breakout year, but he obviously had the injury. I, I was really encouraged heading into this season with him because he was able to practice at the end of last year um, coming off that injury. So I, I knew he would be fully healthy. Uh, heading into 2019. That's one of the reasons I have him ranked uh, TE4. I think of the three guys there in that second tier, uh, he's the most likely to, you know, post TE1 overall numbers or finish in the top three. I mean, I like Engram as well. Um, he's, he's obviously produced really, really well with Odell Beckham out, but they have quarterback issues there. And then OJ Howard, I think, is, is a solid, really solid pick too. That's why I have him in that tier. Now, John, I think, so you are, you know, you've come on this podcast. This podcast, uh, we proudly wave our zero RB flag. Um, We recite, uh, you know, an oath every day before we come on here that, Uh you know, solidifies our zero RB ways. So if we are going to have a bone to pick to start, it's probably the Chris Carson pick. Yeah, I think we would have a tough time passing up on someone like Diggs there. So why don't you make your case uh, to this, you know, unconvinced jury of Chris Carson in the third. Okay, so Carson obviously has had a lot of buzz surrounding his role in Seattle. Um, do you choose to believe that he's going to be more involved in the passing game? I buy into it because of the, the opportunity there. The target's vacated by Mike Davis, 30-something um, receptions, I believe, for him. You know, even if Carson gets half of that, he's going to be uh, significantly more valuable in PPR. And he was already pretty valuable in that format. And from the sound of it, he's well ahead of uh, Rashad Penny in terms of carries. Um, so we, we were pretty much targeting Carson there. I know he's been going around the 3-4 the turn. Uh, but those receivers that we passed on, uh, the only one that we might have pulled the trigger on at, at 308 was uh, Julian Edelman because his value is there. I mean, he's, he's a third round value in PPR, uh, but he, we've been able to get him or I've been able to get him in, into the late fourth sometimes. Um, so we felt like he had a pretty good chance of slipping. And if not, we end up with Chris Godwin or Brandon Cooks, which I think was a nice uh, consolation prize. Um, as far as Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs, I'm just down on the pace and the uh, run heaviness of this, uh, Kevin Stefanski offense in Minnesota. They fired the previous OC because he passed the ball too much. And uh, in those last three games, it's a very small sample, but those last three games, Adam Thielen's numbers uh, took, you know, jumped off a cliff and, and Diggs was okay. Cause he caught a touchdown or two, but his yardage was really low. So, you know, they're, they're probably not going to be as bad as they were late last season. Um, but I don't, I'm not seeing the, uh, the upside there with Thielen and Diggs in the, in the third round. You mentioned Godwin. Um, he's, been, he's been as hyped as anyone in fantasy for the last couple months. Um, if Carson had gone, well, let's just say if you had been in a position where you were going to go wide receiver in the third, um, it sounds like Edelman would have been the guy, or would would you have thought about Godwin? Yeah, in, in full PPR, Edelman would have been the guy. And I was looking at his numbers with uh, Josh Gordon because that obviously changed the whole landscape there in that offense but he was actually seeing more targets with josh gordon last year so i I wasn't worried about him in terms of his volume in that offense so full ppr would have gone edelman there i don't think we would have pulled the trigger on godwin um in the late third his his adp is just i'm not saying it's out of control i think he's actually gonna 
um, return value there. And I think he can pass up Diggs and Thielen in terms of points and maybe even Cooper if he's Cooper's dealing with this foot injury. And obviously T.Y. Hilton went 303 before the, the news broke about luck. So, um, you know, Godwin has wide receiver one type upside. Um, there's, there's a non-zero chance that he outscores Mike Evans this year in fantasy. Um, but, I, you know, I'm so used to getting him in the fourth that it would have been tough to pull the trigger on the third. In the six, you went with Kenyon Drake, and um, I own Drake in a dynasty league where no one has been willing to give me anything for him all offseason. So you've been kind of like my shining ray of hope, seeing that you've been pretty high on him throughout the offseason and um, have kind of been taking this injury discount that, that's that uh, been available on him lately. Um, what What's kind of kept you bullish on Drake throughout? He's been fairly polarizing, and like, like I mentioned, my league mates aren't fans. So, uh, yeah. What's the what's the case for him? Well, I, I did write an article about uh, Kenny and Drake in the offseason where I kind of outlined my case. Um, the reason we pulled the trigger on the six, and I would say this is mostly uh, you guys, you know, are drafting together, so you get that little push and pull tug, you know, tug of war sometimes on some players. And uh, I had I, my my uh, friend Joe, my co-owner Joe, I had tried to soften him up on Drake a little bit, and you know, if he's there in the seventh, but the news broke prior to the draft that he was out of his walking boots. So to me, that was um, a, a real sign that he was going to be active week one. Um, there was a lot of buzz about the fact that Kalen Balaj was taking um, the the snaps or the first snaps at running back. And to me, well, also you get into the first preseason game and Drake actually starts that. He plays ahead of Balaj in that. So that was a, another reason. Um, you know, I, I really don't think that uh, Balaj is going to score more fantasy points than than Drake. Um, and finally, he's basically, even in the worst-case scenario where he's sharing time with Kalen Balaj, he's, he's in the same position he was last year when he finished RB14 in PPR, um, playing alongside Frank Gore, who's probably still better than Kalen Balaj. And so I don't see all the hand-wringing about him possibly splitting time being a big problem because he's going to catch 55, 60 passes, uh, playing the, the James White role in this offense. They're not going to be particularly good offensively, or they could probably be trailing in games, which means lots of pass attempts. They're going to want their best pass catcher out there at running back, and that's going to be him for dump-offs. And then I just think once the, the games are live and Kalen Balaj is out there trying to break tackles, which there have been a couple of really good Twitter threads about his inability to um, break tackles, that maybe some of these camp runs that he's having where nobody's trying to tackle him, you know, maybe those runs are, are three-yard losses instead of, you know, 60-yard sideline touchdowns that everybody gets very excited about. I mean, Balaj is a big dude uh, with a lot of speed, but from everything that I've read this summer, Drake is just the better runner and the better overall running back. So that's why I made a pitch for him at six. And if there was one regret, it's that maybe we didn't wait on that pick and maybe take somebody like Curtis Samuel, um, in the sixth there because we were planning on him in the seventh, but you know, his ADP was hovering seven, eight turn. And we thought for sure he'd be there and he wasn't. And, you know, I'd rather maybe have rolled the dice uh, with Drake making it to the seventh round pick and maybe taking Curtis Samuel there at um, six Oh five. What's your take on the Samuel Moore thing? Cause their ADPs are starting to get closer and closer. And Pete and I don't draft until the Saturday before the first Sunday of football. And we've been, kind of half joking that they might be getting drafted side by side by the time we draft. 
Yeah, more, you know, if you remember when the season started, he was probably going closer to that 4-5 turn. And since Samuel was going in the ninth, you know, when I looked at them towards the end of the season, I guess it was the last half of the season, their fantasy production was basically the same down the stretch. Now, you know, more outscored Samuel by a little bit. But, you know, this, to me, heading into the offseason, wasn't a, a 4-5 turn type guy and a ninth round guy. They, they should be closer. So the ADP is getting legitimate. And then we have the route running study, Perception Perception, by Matt Harmon. I had him on the Most Accurate Podcast last week. And, you know, he's been, you know, pounding the table for Curtis Samuel's route running um, all summer. And, you know, more, that's not his strength right now. Uh but it maybe doesn't need to be for him to be productive based on where he plays in the field. But Samuel is a fantastic route runner. He's got four, three speed and, you know, with uh, Cam Newton being healthy, the shoulder being healthy, obviously he's got the foot injury now, but looks like he's gonna be ready for week one. That also boosts this whole pass offense. So I feel, you know, good about Samuel. I, you know, if you, if you get into where we took Drake six Oh five, that's early for him. You know, you're looking at Josh Gordon on the board, D.D. Westbrook, Alshon Jeffrey, Christian Kirk, Emmanuel Sanders went 6'11", which I thought was pretty early for him. Um, that's a tier of guys where you could really make a case for any one of them uh, to be the top guy. And I think we probably would have gone with the most upside there if we had gone receiver. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, let's talk. So you took uh, you got Baker Mayfield in the ninth and then you came back and got. Russell Wilson in the 13th and I guess this is a kind of a double uh, question um, as far as kind of what your strategy was for quarterbacks and then also were there any kind of structural strategies you had going into the draft maybe as far as like hey we want this many tight ends on our roster this many QBs I'm just curious kind of from a a macro standpoint um, how you guys approached uh, the draft yeah I with quarterback I think the original plan is to just draft one um, but the, the values on some of these guys just like you're looking, you're in the 13th round and you have a guy like Russell Wilson on the board or Kyler Murray, uh, on the board and you're comparing him to some of these what running backs and wide receivers that are available. And it's not so much that we are like, okay, we need to have two quarterbacks. It was, I wanted to punish the other owners that were waiting so long on quarterback a little bit. And I felt like if we grab a second, somebody else might grab a second somebody else might grab a second and these guys that are waiting, 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 waiting on quarterback are going to be stuck, you know, with a guy in the twenties as opposed to a guy in the teens. And, you know, I think there's different philosophies on this and maybe it's a little bit of, you know, you could describe it as a, as a wasted pick, but our quarterback last year was Aaron Rodgers. We took him in the fifth round. We knew we basically tattooed late round quarterback on our heads <laughs> uh, all off season because it did not work out well. And, you know, we got into the ninth, and I think Baker is my quarterback three or four. Rodgers was also there, and we just had that bad experience with Rodgers. We didn't want to invest the Rodgers in the Rodgers-Devontae Adams stack, which maybe is a mistake, but we thought that Baker Mayfield was a good value there. And then as we were coming back around the 13th, nobody's jumping out at receiver or running back. Um, and we're like, well, why not? Let's, let's take Wilson. Um, let's make the... Let's see if the, the rest of the draft follows suit and these guys draft two quarterbacks and maybe that waiver wire, which is usually, you know, stacked with five to 10 starting quarterbacks in any given week, 
maybe for the first few weeks of the season, it's pretty bare. You know, the cupboard's bare. And when we get to the end of the draft, I mean, Matthew Stafford went, Jimmy Garoppolo went, um, the guy who waited pretty long and got Mitch, Mitch Trubisky at four, uh, in the fourth in the fourth spot in the 14th round, he ended up with Tom Brady in the 17th. So it worked out for him, but a lot of these guys took two quarterbacks and when they go to the waiver wire, you know, some of these guys that have one quarterback, they're not going to find too much there if there's an injury or, or, or otherwise. Yeah, I've definitely seen some boards like that too recently where there comes a point in the draft where if, if you don't have targets there and, and you don't feel like these are guys that have the upside to, to eventually see your starting lineup, then it, it can make sense to uh, at least want to entertain the idea of hoarding as much firepower as you can or, or maybe in your case keeping it off of someone else's roster. Let's talk about the end of your draft. You took some flyers. Uh, Chris Thompson, Gio Bernard grabbed the Patriots defense in the 16th, who has a nice start to the season schedule. And then you uh, scooped up a couple more uh, tight ends. And then your last pick, your your Mr. Irrelevant, was a guy that I think is going to be very relevant this season, Andy Isabella. Why don't you tell us kind of about how you guys plotted out the, uh, the end of your draft? Yeah, and this is where I suppose – everybody feels fairly uncomfortable with their last six or seven picks because it's the talent and the, the upside maybe isn't there. You're, you're trying to draft upside, but it's, it's hard to come by. I mean, I, I've been a big Chris Thompson fan for years. Uh, he had two um, 20 plus 25 plus point PPR games to start the season last year and then got injured and then just never was quite the same. You know, the situation in Washington has changed significantly there with Darius Geis and, um, Adrian Peterson there at running back, but I still think that in a pinch, you know, if we if we started Thompson in a in a game where the Redskins are probably going to trail, which is, you know, every game, um, we can probably count on you know four catches for forty yards, and who knows, we might get a touchdown from him. Um, Giovanni Bernard, I, I feel like, is one of those attrition plays that is available fifteenth, sixteenth, and later. Um, these these guys going in the first and second round, like Joe Mixon. Uh, people just think that they're, I don't know, indestructible and they're not really looking at their backup at all. If, if Mixon goes down, Gio Bernard's, you know, proven that he has low end RB one upside. So he's basically just an injury play. I call them attrition plays. Um, love the new England defense. Uh, they, they came in with the most projected in terms of the offenses. They're, they're playing the most sacks allowed, most interceptions allowed in terms of fancy points. So I, I, I love love the Patriots this year and their the opening schedule is fantastic after uh, playing the Steelers at home. And I think, you know, looking back at everything, we have Chris Herndon as our tight end two, uh, who's out for the first, I guess, through week five. Um, and I like him at a discount there in the 12th. Cause I think he would have gone a couple rounds earlier if he had been playing the whole season, especially in tight end premium. We also took Ben Watson, which maybe we're going to have a couple of tight ends now that aren't playing for the first four weeks of the season. I don't know how long we'll be able to hold on to both of them. We'll probably end up cutting Watson if there's a running back or wide receiver that we want. Um, and Jordan Thomas, I just learned today is not starting for the Texans anymore. He was uh, the young tight end from, from Houston. That was, I guess, Darren Fells now has, has beat him out. So he's not having a good camp. So he's probably going to be one that goes now. The last pick you mentioned, Andy Isabella, I'm having a little bit of regret with him as well, because uh, Keyshawn Johnson is, has been outplaying him. Uh, I think Isabella has, I, mean, I don't know if I'm thinking in a two or three year time frame with him because I think he has so much upside uh, given his uh, athletic ability, his production at UMass. 
Uh, Kevin Zetluko, who works at 444, uh, you know, Isabella checked in really high in his uh, wide receiver uh, success, uh, chances of success within the first three years. And, you know, that offense, they, they made him, Cliff Kingsbury made him the number one wide receiver priority in, in their draft. He drafted him first. Um, so I might be, you know, Keyshawn Johnson did not get drafted in this, and I'm maybe regretting that a little bit, but I, I still like Isabella's upside, you know, for the next year, two-year, three-year window. Yeah, Pete and I are kind of split on the Isabella, Keyshawn Johnson. Both of us are big fans of him as a prospect and a dynasty, uh, but I've kind of moved over to the Keyshawn Johnson camp myself um, just because he's been running ahead of him so consistently, and Isabella's been, like, playing the entire preseason game and not coming in until after the starters are removed. But I think I think Pete's case is, you know, the the upside with Isabella for um, big plays that maybe Keyshawn we're not as sure about. So I, I kind of like getting them both. Like if you could, you know, pull off a 19th, uh, a 19th or 20th round double up, uh, I think that would be nice. Yeah, we could we could have done that, but we ended up, you know, trying to chase tight end points and probably shouldn't have. Yeah. So, oh, go ahead, Pat. Yeah, well, just to, just to kind of um, dig in a little further on this Arizona offense, um, you guys actually passed on Kyler Murray in the 13th for Russell Wilson, um, but Murray's a guy that I know you're you're really high on. You got him at quarterback eight. Uh, he was on your 39 players I want to draft everywhere list, um, and he's a big target for us. So, was did you just feel like Wilson was a better fit with Mayfield? I think that was, um, if I don't look at it, I remember what the conversation was about that. Uh, Arizona Mayfield has the week seven by um, Murray has the Giants. So he would have been a good um, matchup from a schedule standpoint there. I think it was more of a tug of war between Joe and I in terms of how high we felt, how good we felt about Kyler Murray uh, versus Russell Wilson. And this was also before the, well, was it? I remember the DK Metcalf injury when that came out um i think he, he was injured beforehand but i think we were we were looking at wilson and, and murray and not seeing a whole lot of difference between the two um and i i remember joe does like uh uh wilson a bit more and so it wasn't one that i was going to pound the table for and uh well just to, when you uh were looking up your conversation uh there with your uh your co-owner i'm always curious uh about kind of the process of how people co-manage you know pat and i have been figuring it out as we go just through through practice and reps and stuff over these past few years but what is your guys's process look like in the season as far as deciding on the exact amounts that you're going to bid on the waiver and all those kind of decisions uh well i told i told joe um like at beginning of last season that I had too many leagues going on. And um, if you, if you wanted to co-own the team with me, then he needed to take charge of the waivers because I, this is the part uh, every week where it's waiver day. And I don't know how many leagues you guys are in, but when you're in like five, six, seven leagues and you also are doing fantasy football all day for your job, it gets to be really kind of a grind to be, you know, searching the waiver wire to see if Andy Dalton's available. <laughs> um, so, so he'll do what typically he'll hit me up and say, we've got, we can cut these two guys. We've got so-and-so on by and here are the, here are the guys. And then we kind of hash out the prices between us. And we typically think about fantasy in mostly the same way. So it's not too difficult. I mean, I think it'd be really tough to co-own a team. If you guys have vastly different opinions about how to handle your fab or um, you know, what position is important or, you know, can't talk, you're not open and minded enough to listen to the other person's case for a player or, 
you know, defend your case for a player. But uh, Joe and I think pretty similarly about things and um, have been playing together now for whatever, a dozen years. So we're, we're used to it. John, yeah, if you want to spice up the uh, the waiver experience, <laughs> one thing you can do is just do it live on air <laughs> with no prep. <laughs> oh, is that what you guys do? That's what we do. That makes it that that would be interesting for sure. Yeah, we uh, yeah, it's uh, we're also doing a draft tomorrow night, and um, as as I know, you saw uh, how much Pat loves Ronald Jones this year for our two drafts, or at least the one tomorrow night. We are going to institute a thing called the Rojo card where each of us gets one trump card to play during the draft where we overrule the other person and get to uh, to pick the other guy that we're debating. So uh, that's my insurance of Pat wanting to draft Rojo in the sixth. Well, you'll, you'll be happy to hear that his ADP is really sunk. He went in the 12th round of this draft. so It the, has really sunk. I'm quite happy about that. The whole swelling thing is really, is really sunk it. Yeah, but, and Dare. The Dare hype yeah. is real. <laughs> yeah, don't bring up Dare with Pat. He'll, no, I actually think Dare is pretty out. intriguing, but uh, you know the whole snaps thing that he played with the first team snaps. I have a, they, you know, they sat Barber and Ronald Jones for the night, and then Dare came in when Winston was still in. <laughs> what well, do you, What do you think about that, John? Is that like, is that like a bad sign for Barber and Rojo, or do they not want them to get hurt, but they're trying to get the first team more snaps? Uh, I would. Well, I think in the case of Jones, he's certainly banged up, so they want to limit him. And um, typically, I would pay attention to the snaps with the first team. And if somebody starts to get snaps with the first team, then I would assume that they're going to have a role um, on Sundays. Now, that's not always the case. I mean, if 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 the if the coaching staff has a, a running back that is active for a preseason game and they've been with him for three years. He may not play as much because they already know what they got. But I think with Ronald Jones, did he play in that game or was it? Yeah, we went, it went Barber Jones, Barber Jones, and then maybe even one more time. And then they, they both went out and Dare and Ellington came in, but Dare like completely outsnapped Ellington and is very clearly ahead of him on the depth chart and is a good pass catcher. So I think he's intriguing in his own right. Yeah, and you could actually, with Jones's dip in ADP, I mean, he went from, what, going in the 8th, ninth round now to the 12th here in this yeah. draft. And, I mean, you could pretty easily get both uh, Jones and Dari and probably end up with a, a guy who's got a pretty good shot to beat out Peyton uh, Barber, you know, so. Yeah, that's, Beautiful. Very, that's very true. And, uh, you, oh, you did, uh, when you were talking about how much of a pain that waiver wires uh, can be, it did remind me to plug the uh, 4 for 4 League Sync tool because that's honestly the only way I get through waivers is is pulling that up with your ranking, seeing who's available in my league, and going through and you know prioritizing any, any of those guys. And the League Sync tool shows your roster, your opponent's rosters, and then free agents all overlaid on John's weekly ranking. So uh, I'm constantly on Tuesday night refreshing those uh waiting for those to go up around 5 or 6 p.m eastern and then using that to inform my bid so that's that's definitely a way to manage it how many leagues do you guys play in that where you have to actively manage it and, and do waivers every week i'm up to 10 this year oh yeah i had it i had it down to like six last year and i just said yes too many times <laughs> this off season yeah, I'm at like seven or eight. I pruned a few dynasty leagues, but the redraft ones are are still creeping up there. Yeah, it's rough when they're all on the same day too, and you just have to. It's like you're 
you're going to make the donuts and you gotta <laughs> you gotta go to your you gotta go to your waiver wire in eight different leagues on a on a like a Tuesday evening or a Wednesday evening and you're eating up two hours looking for terrible players in the waiver wire. It's bad. Yeah. yeah. Well uh <laughs> Well, we appreciate you uh, hopping on the podcast with us, and uh, maybe we'll check in uh, with you later this season, see how the, the team's doing, and get an update. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on, and good luck in your drafts, guys. Yep, of course, you guys can always find uh, Paulson on Twitter, at 444John. Like I said, we will post the uh, the board from his draft in the show notes below, so you guys can uh, follow along with that uh, if you'd like to see. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon, John. All right, thanks a lot. All right, thank you to John Paulson for joining us. Always fun to uh, hear other owners and sharp owners, uh, you know, describe their draft strategy. Even if philosophically we uh, are going to approach our draft a little different, that'll be fun to uh, keep tabs on how Paulson does there. But uh, before we end this episode, I did want to touch base with Pat because Pat uh, posted an article on four four that just went up. Uh, we're recording this on Monday. It's uh, ship chasing QB strategy in targets. And Pat kind of uh, outlined our plan for quarterback in the FFPC main event. We talked a little bit about it with Paulson, but Pat, why don't you kind of overview some of the stuff we're looking at and maybe some current ADPs? Yeah, so um, basically the the strategy here is pretty simple. Um, I talk a little bit about uh, a point, Pete, that that you've really uh, hammered home this, this off season. I think it's a really good one. It's that we've, we've survived just fine by streaming, uh, in the past, we've not targeted quarterbacks early and we've saved a lot of our premium value at other positions. And that's worked out pretty well. Um, especially in that like 10 through 12 range, we've really gotten some, some great, uh, running back hits like Nick Chubb and Alvin Kamara in their rookie years. However, the uh, the one issue with the strategy is that it's, it has left us with without much upside at the quarterback position. So knowing that we can stream if uh, like a, our our quarterback target doesn't pan out as a difference maker, actually maybe it makes sense to try to get someone with upside a little earlier. So uh, I've got our quarterback list here basically split into the upside plays then some backups in case the upside is gone. And then we've also got some guys that we're looking at if they drop and then just kind of a total punt streamer target to kick to kick the season off if if all of our guys are a little bit too expensive for our liking. So, yeah, let's just talk about the upside plays here. Um, those are Kyler Murray, who's ADP right now uh, in the satellite leagues for FFPC is 11-11. Uh, Lamar Jackson, whose ADP is 11-08. And Dak Prescott, is a little cheaper with an ADP of 13.05. So those guys are going off as QB 13 for Murray, QB 12 for Jackson, and QB 16 for Prescott. And just uh, as a follow-up on those guys, and because we just talked about Paulson's draft, where Kyler uh, and uh, Russell uh, and Lamar Jackson actually went in the 14th, so these guys going almost to two full rounds below their ADP, do you think that's an aberration with his draft? or a trend we might see in these main events relative to the satellite leagues? I think it's a trend we might see in the main event. That's one thing uh, that I've been struck by in our live drafts in the past is that quarterbacks really do fall. Um, And that wide receivers actually, I think, tend to get drafted a little bit earlier in the main event drafts, in the live main event drafts than 
typically in the satellites. Um, and the quarterbacks even drop a little bit later. So basically any of these running backs are even remotely interesting are going to get snapped up and there's not going to be a lot of running back values, I think in those, uh, in those rounds, but that'll push the quarterbacks down a little bit. So yeah, it is possible that we could even be looking at Murray in the, uh, the 13th, although we're both pretty happy to get him in the 12th. Yeah. And I mean, that's like a, a, I guess the dream scenario is knowing, you know, say we have a zero RB target that falls to us in the 12th that we really like or surprise that is there. Um, you know, then I think we're more willing to scoop that up and then know like, okay, maybe Kyler falls, which is what we hope. But even if not, you know, Lamar Jackson is probably still going to be there too. If Kyler hasn't gone by that point. Yeah. And so the case for all of these guys is the upside. They all have, I think, fairly low floors. Uh, with Murray, he's a rookie. We don't really know what this offense is going to look like. We're doing a lot of projection. You can talk yourself into a really exciting case. But there's also the potential that he's just not that fantasy relevant as a rookie. Lamar Jackson, is he going to run as much as he did last season? And if not, is he going to make up for that with better passing numbers? And how fast are the Ravens going to play? They played pretty fast last year, but Greg Roman hasn't been as up uh, as high tempo as uh, as they were last season. So you could see less plays and less rushes. So he's got a floor that's not great. But on the other hand, he was incredibly productive once he was the starter last year. Dak Prescott, you're also kind of projecting an, a better, more pass-heavy offense with a new offensive coordinator in Kellen Moore. Uh, and the Dak Prescott splits once Amari Cooper joined the offense, in which he was actually more productive than Jackson was last year, and you're getting him at a discount to Jackson. So uh, all three of these guys, I think, have really underpriced ceilings. And again, the idea here is if the ceiling doesn't pay off, we can always reevaluate and stream the position as we've done pretty effectively in the past. Yeah, exactly. And one of the guys that you even list on the waiver watch list, a guy that went undrafted in Paulson's league, a guy that, you know, would be perfect to pick up after a few weeks, say one of these, you know, quarterbacks that we we prioritize, they bomb or flop, then you go and grab a Sam Darnold uh, on the waiver. And, And there still is also the option too, of taking a guy like Tom Brady, who went in the 17th round, of Paulson's draft. I mean, that's, that's really absurd value for a quarterback with his pedigree, with his weapons, Josh Gordon in the fold. So there's definitely, um, ways to patch things up if you, you flop on one of those prime, uh, premium targets. And that's why I'm so willing this year to take a swing in the 12th or 13th, because again, our overall idea, uh, you know, presuming we go zero RB or, or even modified zero RB is that, if we can hit on zero running back targets throughout the season on the waivers, our later round picks, that we supercharge a team that already has incredible firepower at wide receiver and tight end, obviously, and also quarterback, and that the running back is that last piece of the puzzle. And so I think, you know, by neglecting high upside quarterbacks in previous years, we've kind of capped the overall upside, even though that hasn't come back to bite us yet because we haven't made it far. But if we do get all those other pieces right, we're going to want to make sure we have a ceiling with our QB as well. Right, right, exactly. And so, you know, Tom Brady doesn't really give you that ceiling, but he's just such a value, you know, down in the 17th here in, in Paulson's draft. And 
typically going in the late 14th. Um, other guys like Matt Ryan and Jared Goff occasionally fall past where they're going, so they can be pretty interesting as well in that like 12th round range it, where I think they're not really getting there that much in the satellite drafts, but I think one of those guys could potentially fall to us in the 12th in our main event. Um, and then like Nick Foles is another guy listed on in the article um, uh, because you know he's not someone you want to rely on the entire season, but he gets Casey at home in week one, and then Houston, they go to Houston in week two. So that could be an absolutely excellent two-game sample from Foles, and then we move off of him uh, to another quarterback from the wire um, because the schedule gets a little tougher. But there's still ways, I think, to um, at least start the season with some upside and then stash a guy like Darnold, who has a really tough uh, schedule to start the season, two tough matchups and a week four bye. I think even if he gets drafted, he's hitting waivers. So like a Foles and then uh, Foles start and then kick him off for, for Darnold and another guy to fill in your weeks three and four and play for Darnold midseason breakout or something. That could be another way to kind of get upside. Yeah. Yep. And I, I don't know. I'm trying to like, it's hard for me to remember exactly years past and some of the guys that we were passing up on. I mean, obviously last year we passed up on Mahomes, um, but I, I do feel like this year again, really sets up well for it. And I mean, when we, you know, we're getting closer to kind of putting our master plan together and we're going to have that article up uh, next week as well. But when we look at these gaps uh, or not necessarily these gaps, but these windows of where we're drafting, where it's like, we want these wide receivers in the first five rounds and or for seven rounds. And we like these zero running back candidates, eight through 12, like it's setting up perfectly to get that Kyler, that Lamar, maybe that Dak in rounds 13 or 14, right when we're done scooping up zero running back candidates. So as far as the like big pictures coming together, I'm liking that we aren't having to make super hard decisions of like Kyler Murray or Justice Hill. It's like, well, you can have both if this ADP holds. Yeah, and and it's definitely going to be Justice Hill's ADP is starting to really climb up there. Um, but some of the other guys that we don't like quite as much, um, like Naheem Hines is a guy that we've liked all offseason, but now with Lux retirement. You know, him in the 12th versus Kyler in the 12th. That seems uh, to me like Kyler there. Um, Jalen Richard is a guy that we've really liked getting basically for free all offseason. Doug Martin's now an IR, and he's basically like the true handcuff to, to a rookie. So I think Richard is a guy that hopefully his ADP doesn't creep up too much. He went in the end of the 13th year. I would love to still just be able to get him in the 13th easily. But, um, you know, if we need to take him in the in the 12th and get the best available between like Jackson Murray in the 13th or even wait until the 14th to try to get Prescott, I'm fine with that, too. Yep. Definitely. Well, uh, yeah, definitely check out Pat's article up there that I believe is our third article. We had one kind of outlining just the FFPC main event and in the league setting. So if you've been listening to this podcast, you're definitely familiar with that. We did one looking at tight ends and kind of how the first three rounds of our draft might be impacted based on uh, what we do with tight ends. And then, of course, this quarterbacks article. And then we are going to be posting uh, a zero RB article later this week as well 
kind of talking through, we actually use Paulson's ADP from his draft to kind of look at what guys we like in the rounds we would maybe have to take them. So yeah, lots of content coming out. Um, we are going to be doing uh, another draft. Our FFWC draft is uh, tomorrow. We'll have audio of that up on the feed. And then, yeah, and then we're heading to Vegas next uh, Wednesday night for our big FFPC weekend, which is just always so much fun. And then, of course, our draft. So yeah, tons of content, articles, podcasts. Uh, might even have a, a Periscope or two from Vegas up on the 4 for 4 Twitter. So any any plugs I'm missing there, Pat? Yeah, a reminder, if you're in Vegas, um, we're going to have 4 for 4 t-shirts that we're giving away. And uh, come grab one. And then if you take a picture of it, of yourself in the t-shirt with your draft board um, and tag 4 for 4, you can get a free 4 for 4 sub. So. Yep. Um, we will you know. be, uh, I believe we'll, I mean, we'll be around. We'll either be posted up, uh, in front of the main lobby in front of the ballroom of where the drafts are or during the draft party, uh, out in the bigger kind of foyer area will be either posted up there, but you won't be able to miss us. Um, we will be around and, and giving out shirts and subs. Yep. All right, guys, until uh, this next episode, which should actually be in another day or two, you guys can hear a a recap of our other high-stakes draft. Uh, But until then, thank you for listening. I'm Pete Overzet. Pat is Pat Karade, and this is Ship (laughs) Chasing.